0: Whoever's up here uh, leads us in worship and it's such a blessing to have so many that are willing to serve the Lord with gladness uh, with their talents and their their direction in the spirit. Let me uh, say before we get into the message, uh, my announcement and that is to reiterate to you that we will be going to Guatemala June 1st through the 8th. Uh, We've got a sign-up sheet at the back, and uh, so uh, you need to sign up. Here's the deal. If you are even beginning to contemplate going to Guatemala, I need your name on that list. We are going to block off a group of plane tickets right now. uh, I got an email uh, from the missions, and they're at the cheapest they've been for several months. And so uh, it's about 900 bucks. So we need to block that off uh, and we can always back some out. But here's the deal. What's going to happen? Some of you, the spirit's saying, yeah, 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 go, go. And the physical mind says, yeah, but I don't know if I'll be able to pay for it. And I don't know. And you start with all the question. If God is leading you to it, God will bless you through it. God will make a way. Amen. Anybody, God ever made a way for anybody here? Then we've got to believe he's the same God today and tomorrow as he was when he brought us through whatever we've been through. Now, if you just absolutely, positively know you're not going to Guatemala, you don't want to go to Guatemala, you don't feel leadership to Guatemala, then just write a big fat check (laughs) and put a bunch of zeros on it with a number. I always say put a number in front of the zeros. Uh, and on the bottom on the the memo line just simply put mission trip we'll know where it's going Uh, we have one designated mission trip that we know we're going on this year and that's back to Guatemala to partner with E3 missions and to partner with these schools that have already given us the uh, permission uh, and to come alongside them in coming into the school and ministering every day, morning and evening, to different schools, Monday through Thursday. And we will be partnering with uh, helping plant uh, the church, the Truth Baptist Church in Solola, Guatemala. I talked with the, the pastor there last night, uh, and he's excited, his family's excited, and uh, his wife's a school teacher at another school, uh, a, a much poorer school. And then they have a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old daughter, uh, Victoria and Dana. Uh, His name is Walter. His wife's name is Ingrid. I want you to make them a matter of prayer in your life. Uh, If you have no other inkling to go, but you're afraid that, uh, oh, it's terrible and it's bad. Listen, yeah, it's a third world country. That's why we're going to do missions. But. God always has a way of blessing you in your obedience. And it just so happens that the place we're going in Sololá, Guatemala, uh, right, uh, right up the hill, just not even a mile really from the water, but about five to eight minute drive uh, from Lake Atilan, which has three volcanoes around it and National Geographic has ranked it as one of the top 10 most beautiful places on earth. Uh, you can spend 10 or 12 hours flying to Hawaii or you can go with us to Guatemala and see the same stuff for a lot less and a lot better coffee and uh, have a wonderful time serving God. Put your name on that list and uh, then we'll go from there. I have already formulated a letter for you to send out to your family and friends to help raise money uh, and it will explain how they can write checks, be tax deductible as we seek going, this is a partnership we prayed about and believe this will be something that will carry on year after year after year. Going to the same school, this time doing vacation Bible school. The next time it may be doing medical missions. Uh, there's no telling. We, we will do many things. Partnering with this church. Can you imagine if you're on this charter group that goes and to see Uh, In a few years, God blessing the Truth Baptist Church, and to know we were just a little part in the kingdom of helping start this. I especially need you young college students to dedicate a week of your summer to go on missions, because a lot of the things we're going to be doing is sports ministry with them through that vacation Bible school. And so, don't forget that. Don't forget that. Now, turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. We're finishing up at the end of this chapter. This chapter has been very heavy. It's a chapter of prophecy. It's a chapter that Jesus goes into looking at the future and all the things out there ahead. And so he expresses words. We oftentimes put a lot of weight on people's last words on this earth, don't we? And some of you may still carry some kind of guilt. You wasn't there for a family member's last word. I'm going to tell you something. Don't live in a split second of a family member's death here on this earth. Live in the fullness of their life. Okay? Don't, don't just think about that last little bit of suffering or the end. Think of the fullness and, and meditate and think on these things as Jesus would say. But we put a lot of weight into what people say at the end, don't we? Don't we? I mean, we record all kinds of things. My favorite quote is by a man who gave his life on a sandbar in Ecuador serving on missions. A man by the name of Jim Elliott. Many of you know who he is. Uh, you know of his wife, Elizabeth, and what a great example they have been uh, throughout this world. The, the body of Christ, even after his Martyrdom for the cause of Christ. His widow led the men who killed her husband to the Lord. To the point, you want to talk about grace, that one of those men that she led to the Lord, her children, her husband's children, uh, uh, calls the man or called the man who killed their father grandpa. Because of The great love that overwhelmed all the sin in that situation. But before his death, Jim Elliot uttered these words. He said, a man is not a fool to give up that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. It's pretty profound, isn't it? But it cannot. And here's my point. We've had some very brilliant minds come through the world. I mean... You, you look at, you know, great words of of Mark Twain, and you see great words of Voltaire, and you see great words of other uh, uh, Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and JFK and other very famous men and women. Mother Teresa is quoted so often throughout the world, but there are no words like the words of Jesus. There are no words like the words of Jesus. And so in my feeble attempt, I want to look over some of the Lord's last words before he's crucified in chapter 13. We saw last week words of prophecy. This week in the servant's words, we see words of parable and words of preparation. First of all, look with me at verse 28 chapter 13 of Mark now learn a parable of the fig tree you know what a parable is right a parable in in simple explanation is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning Jesus uses everyday story lines to explain for our feeble mindedness what's going on in the kingdom and he does this over and over through the gospels you know we uses the fig tree and uh, he, he uses the lost coin and uh, he d- uses the lost sheep and so many other parables that Jesus uses. Well, he says here in verse 28, learn a parable of the fig tree. When a branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. I looked in my yard yesterday cleaning up, doing some things and the Bradford pear tree is just still gray and there's no leaves on it. But I looked and on one end of one limb that i lopped off last year there's like these two little blooms sticking out just on the end of this severed limb. Two little white blooms. And you know all I could think of was it's fixing to stink around here because those Bradford pears are horrendous. But no, in just a matter of a few short weeks, it'll be full of very green, dark green leaves all over that tree. He tells us here, we know that summer is near because her branches is yet tender and puts forth leaves. So in verse 29, so you in like manner, When you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Boy, that's that's a very powerful charge to us off of such a short, almost pithy little nature story. So a a fig tree has leaves and we're supposed to do what? See that all the things are coming to pass knowing that it is nigh even at the doors? Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. I talked to a gentleman this week that I have no doubt knows Jesus as his Savior And I began to talk to him and and he was excited about the Lord and he was so excited he began to tell me all kinds of things. And before long, my spirit just locked down the emergency brake, began to scream, this man's lost his mind. This man has gone off the deep end. He started talking about healing people. He started talking about seeing things and, and and. calling things over on this and other that. And I said something about end times and, uh, and the Lord coming back. He said, I said, the Lord could come back today. He said, no, he couldn't. I said, excuse me? He said, no, he couldn't come back today. I said, why? Why? The prophecies and everything that we've seen in scripture, God's word said, he said, because the Bible tells us if we're close to him, he will reveal it to his children. That there's nothing here. I said, you have lost your mind. You have taken that, and I told him straight to his face, I said, you have completely obliterated Scripture. You have spoof text that. God's Word says, even the son does not know when his father will look over, and now that is the son's role that we find in Philippians. As God, he's God, but he takes on that role, he assumes that role as son, to be the bridegroom to us, the bride, and he's Puts himself in submission not to know when the Father's going to sin. But I want to look at the fig tree for a moment. I want to look at the fig tree. You remember the fig tree? I always love to tell this story. Jesus is so full of life. That he doesn't get life. He doesn't have life. He is life. Okay? He is the very essence Of who we are in Christ. We are alive in Christ. Right? I am the way. He didn't say I am a way. Right? I am the way. I am the truth. Not a piece of truth. Not truthful. He said I am truth and I am life. I am the life. So when we see that we understand the fullness of it. Everywhere Jesus went, whether it was Jairus' daughter or whether it was someone that we don't know their name, uh, when he got there, they were dead. We know that when he came to the tomb, Lazarus had been dead four days, even to the point his family said, by now he stinks. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. There was never a time that Jesus came on the scene where there was something or someone dead that it was not alive when he left. But there is one story that is polar opposite something that was alive that when he left was dead, and that is the fig tree. When we look through Matthew 13 and Matthew 24, when we look in chapter 13 of Mark, as we talked about last week, We see that the fig tree represents the nation of Israel in prophecy. It always represents the nation of Israel. And so we see the cursing of the fig tree. We know this. And what we see in these words of parable here in verse 28 through verse 33 is the nearness of Christ's return. And we see it in the fig tree. Because, listen, the fig tree was cursed because of what? No fruit. There was no fruit. Jesus went up there and he's pulling back the leaves. He's like, surely there's a a fig fig here. Look at all these leaves. It's beautiful, man. Look how full and how glorious. And the world says, oh, man, what a fig tree. What good's a fig tree with no figs? curse, no fruit. Why? Because they had rejected their Messiah. It started way before his triumphal entry. We see chapter 2 of John. We see that Jesus did not commit himself unto all men for he knew what was in all men and needed no one to testify of them. We see another place where many did not follow him any longer because it had gotten too rough. You know why people join churches? You want to know why young people don't want to come to church, don't want to come to Sunday school? Because, listen, there is a responsibility as a Christian to serve, and we don't want anything to cramp our style. Listen. We're worried about how much money we make. We worry about how much fun we have. We, wonder, we worry about how many likes we're going to get on Instagram or on Twitter. We're worried whether how many is following us. And what matters is how much parties we go to, how much uh, glory we have on this earth. And grabbing the world by its handle and saying, this is my world. I'm going to live it up the way I want to live it up. And we miss the whole point that Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. And we're to resemble that. Israel said, "I, we want a Messiah now. We want Rome off the throne. We want to get rid of Herod. We want to get rid of Caesar. We, we want Israel back. Right now I'm reading through the book of Judges. And whether it's Othniel, or whether it's Gideon, or whether it's Deborah, or whether it's Samson, or whether it's Shamgar with his ox goad, they judged Israel. And they came and they said, oh, we want you to rule over. And and he said, no, I'm not going to rule, but I'll judge. God is the only ruler of Israel. And you know what happened with every one of them? And I started counting up the years. And I lost count because it'd say, this one served for 40 years And he died. And Israel lived in rejection and lived in bondage for eight years. And this one came on the scene and they cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard their prayer. And God sent this judge and they honored God and great victory was had and they died. And for 18 years, they lived in submission to another group that was not God's people. And over and over and over and over again, is that you? Is that me? that when things are good they're real good but then we let just a little bit get off we let the world get back at us summer's coming church now may, may I also say while well, you say preacher you're always being negative well, I don't want to be positive i think today was the highest number we've had in Sunday school on this particular sunday of the year, every year I dread this Sunday morning, but this I think was the highest number we've had in Sunday school since I've been here and I, I I just thank God for it and I thank you for your faithfulness to God's word because listen what matters is fruit right listen we don't want fruit we want a messiah and in that listen they Rejected Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Now, how does that apply to us today? Have you ever heard someone say, "Well, I've heard everybody talk about Jesus, and so I've tried to live for Jesus, and I've read the Bible, and I prayed. No, oh, I prayed and I prayed, and He didn't answer anything. So I don't believe there is a God." Do you know the cults are full? A former Baptist. Do you know that? Here's the problem. Most never truly met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They had a form of godliness, but denying the power there. How dare you, preacher? How can you say? Because the Bible says, I can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. And there was no fruit in and of itself. It was all about, what can I get out of saying I'm a Christian. And when it didn't work their way, they cast him off. Does that not sound like Israel in the day of Jesus? Even his apostles, what happened when they arrested him? They all ran. And they even said, well, we thought he was the one. Do you know even John the Baptist that leaped in his mother's womb at one point said, are you the one or should we look for another? Are we rejecting the Messiah even today? Now, I'm just making an analogy, but the point is he's speaking of Israel. And that one day, listen what he says, one day the tree shall become tender and put forth leaves, and you will know that the summer is near. Now, I want you to see what he's talking about in its fullness, the fig tree of Israel, in that they rejected the Messiah and no fruit. He cursed that tree. I want you to think about what happened in his day. A.D. 70, roughly 40 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. A.D. 70, what happened? Rome destroyed Israel. Titus comes sweeping through, cut the trees down, burnt the temple, tore down the walls. And if that was not enough in A.D. 135, roughly a hundred years after the Lord's presence at Calvary, the world in Rome terminated Jewish national life. Even changed the name to Palestine. An argument that still carries on even today. That's what was going on in the first couple of centuries to the fig tree. You need to know this history lesson, okay? Those of y'all hate history. I'm not going to quote you all that about doom to repeat it, but I'm going to tell you, this is the world, and you're in it. And you better wake up your eyes because this applies to current affairs today. You're fixing to hear it. And you'll be like, oh, unless you just, all you do is, watch YouTube and play Fortnite, uh, you you will have heard something in recent days. All right, so after that, we see Masada. We see the Crusades. We see the Dark Ages. Boy, it got worse and worse and worse for Israel. Israel was basically non-existent. We see the Diaspora that dispersed Jews all over the globe. So that they were in Russia and they were in Asia and they were in Europe and other places. Spread all over the face of the earth. Gone into the four corners of the world. Not centered in Jerusalem any longer. God had allowed them just as in the day of the Babylonians, just as in the day of the Egyptians, just as in the day of Philistines. As a matter of fact, where do you think the name Palestine came from? It is significant in that the Philistines are the Palestinians and are and will be, the proverbial enemy of Israel until that very dark day of treaties. So now we come to the current history. What current history do we see of God allowing the nation of Israel to suffer? The greatest horrific acts that a living man knows is current history. The Holocaust. The Holocaust. Well over six million Jews lost their lives in World War II. They, not, not on a battlefield, not picking up guns. They were tattooed, put on train cars, and sent to places like Sobibor and Auschwitz and throughout those. But it wasn't just happening there in the Stalags. It was happening in the Gulags of the Soviet Union. They suffered under the hands of, a very ruthless, ruthless, ruthless people. What's happening today? Islamic Jihad. There's hardly a day goes by that Hezbollah or a, some Palestinian organization doesn't launch some kind of missile over into Israel. Over and over, day after day, the world is attacking. We've seen it happen all through our lifetime. If you are Older, as old as I am, or a little older and have anything to do with sports, we know and remember a great attack that happened at an Olympics in 1972 in Munich. They've made movies about that for you younger people. We've seen them kill Jewish citizens on, in wheelchairs, on cruise ships and throw them over. We've seen them killed on hijacked planes all over the world it is because of the Islamic jihad make no mistake about it today it is not about oil it is not about land because I'm going to tell you something if you've ever been throughout a lot of Palestine if you've seen anything to do with Iraq that that fer, fertile crescent which is really the tail end of the fertile crescent if you've seen any pictures of Afghanistan and some, it's not about the dirt it's about the God. It's what it's about. From the Ottoman Empire, we see the Crusades. We see all those things that happen. It is about jihad on the Christians, on the cross, and on Jews. And then the one I was referring to earlier. How about even in the United States House of Representatives? We have a woman who was voted in. Now listen, I don't care. I hope this thing went viral. That has no business representing people that she considers to be less than human. That calls Jews every name in the book. We see anti-Semitism happening all over the world. And whether they wear a robe on their head or a a. a, a mask over their face it is wrong it is wrong and how anyone can claim to be a Christian and hate Jews when God had Pilate right on the top of the cross here hangs the king of the Jews Jesus was not Caucasian Gentile church he was a Jew If you got a problem with Jews, you better get over yourself. Because God tells us, even in this rejection, there's a day coming. And I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. We see now the tree will begin to turn green again. In 1948, we see a great returning and a declaration of independence in the nation of Israel. They began to commandeer planes and jets to go out to the four corners of the earth. They raised money throughout the globe and they began to bring people home. They began to bring them back to Israel. In 1967, with a ragtag army, the Israelis defeated the Syrians, the Jordanians, and the Egyptians and it only took them six days. In 1972, we see another war. We see through that whole deal at the Olympics. And after the end of World War II and because of the the Holocaust, we see probably the most effective secret agency in the world called Mossad who dauntingly and doggedly hunted down those criminals of World War II. And found men, men like uh, Mengele. And found people like Adolf Eichmann hiding in Argentina and throughout South America. So what's that got to do with worshiping Jesus? Hang on. Jesus is the one talking about it. It must be right. That's right. Jesus said that there's going to be a reviving coming. But they still will be. Rejecting. Look, I want you to notice something about this verse. It really just jumped out at me. In verse 28, learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. There's a scripture, a prophecy in Jeremiah 8 that speaks of that summer. He tells us in verse 20, the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not delivered. We're not saved. He's speaking of Israel. He's speaking of a tree full of leaves and still no fruit. And then we see the tribulation saints during this time that He warns. These are words of parable. The nearness of Christ's return. And we see it in the fig tree and in the tribulation saints. He tells us here, Barely, I say unto you that this generation, he's talking about not the generation that he lived in because very apparently they passed away, right? He's speaking of the generation that he's speaking about. The generation of that day when the leaves turn green. He said, take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. He's speaking of rapture and return. They're not the same thing. We we often intermingle the title, the second coming of Christ. But they're not the same. The rapture is for the church. The return is for Israel. That's the way it is. The the rapture is what we read earlier that Jesus don't even know as the son. That his father will look over and say, go get your bride. And that's where we see in 1 Thessalonians 4 Jesus coming in the clouds. Jesus comes to the clouds in the rapture. Jesus comes to the earth in the return. You see in the rapture the only those who are born again those who are dead in Christ shall rise first and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air and so shall we ever be. Comfort one another with these words. Comfort. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. It may be morning, night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will say The time is unknown for the rapture, but the return can be calculated. That's why he's speaking of this to tribulation saints that will read this in the future. There will be people saved during the tribulation period. There will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Do you know that? 144,000... There's only 45,000 Southern Baptist churches, and I don't know how many of them are truly evangelistic. There'll be 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will preach the gospel. Not including those two witnesses that they kill and that resurrects. It's not a trumpet. We're okay. The return can be calculated. We see, and I, I'm not going to get into all the 1420 days and the, all this stuff, but just know that that period has been taught that seven years of tribulation, three and a half of tribulation, three and a half of Jacob's trouble that we read about the other day. The rapture for the church, the return for the nation of Israel. Seven years of tribulation after Jesus has come, but then Jesus comes back with His church for His tribulation saints and will reign for a thousand years. These are words of parable that we need not ignore. But then I want you to notice not only the nearness of Christ's return, the suddenness. You ever said, man, I just, I didn't see it coming. It just, it was all of a sudden. Just all of a sudden. It's like those storms last Sunday. What a terrible, terrible heartbreaking time there in Alabama. Talbotton, Cairo, other places in Georgia that lost a lot of property but a lot of people lost their lives in Alabama. Just a split second. All of a sudden they said that was one of the fastest moving tornadoes on record. That at some points it was moving at over 80 miles an hour as well as being an EF4 and only 5 miles slower than an EF5. It was unimaginable. The suddenness of that devastation. That at one point, have y'all seen the pictures of the before and afters? The picture of the house and the swimming pool and all that. And all the beautiful trees. And then all of a sudden it's just not there. That's why they call it the finger of God. That only God could allow something or do something like that. Well, the suddenness we see in verse 34... He says, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house, gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. It's words of preparation. He said the man will take a far journey. Is that what Jesus did? So... Jesus had told them for three and a half years I'm going to the cross. They didn't get it until after and we talked about this in Sunday school where the two guys on the road to Emmaus and their hearts burned oh, oh man did not our hearts burn while we were talking to him and he began to reveal himself and he came into that 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 closed up room and he revealed himself again. And over and over and over he revealed himself. We see it in John 21 where he came walking on the shore. And then finally they realized who he was. And Peter jumped in and he fixed them breakfast. And they stood there that day on the Mount of Olives. And he said, power's coming your way. Stay right here until I ascend it. He said, but I must go. And they watched him go up in the clouds. And yet there was one angel still standing there, right? It wasn't just like, you know, a spaceship that hit warp drive and it was just all gone. It was right back. No, that angel stood there and said, did y'all see that? Did y'all see that? I got news for you. He's coming back the same way. He's coming back the same way that you saw him leave. Listen, church, there's a great day coming by and by. Our Jesus. Our Jesus. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds in all His glory. For you and me. But here's what's cool. When He comes back, the second coming that He's talking about here for the nation of Israel, we're coming back with Him. We're coming back with Him. To rule and reign with Him. And listen, He said a man must take a far journey. Did Jesus go away? Did He take a far journey? Yes. And He said In this, every believer is a servant. And we ought to be serving. He said every servant ought to work. He tells us here in verse 34. And he gave authority to his servants. And to every man his work. You've got a job to do, church. Every one of us. Every single one of us. We saw people do that during night to shine. Twenty-eight teams. Twenty-eight teams. People who use their spiritual giftedness. But you know what? Ministry didn't stop after February 8th. Vacation Bible school. Men's supper. Women's ministry. Every day there's something to do for the Lord. We're so wrapped up. In our own lives, that we forget that we are servants left here to do our jobs, that God has entrusted us. It is the most glorious thing to be the servant of the master of the house. And he said, "Porters, watch those who serve; those who open in and, and close. Every servant is to watch. Are we watching? Are we watching?" And then I want you to notice the words of preparation. Over and over and over in this context. He tells us to watch. Watch ye therefore for ye know not when the master of the house comes. At evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Lest suddenly he find you sleeping. I almost believe he looked over at Peter, James, and John when he said this. He said, hey, you need to be aware. You need to be watching for the Lord coming back. Watch in the morning. When we get up every morning, Lord, this could be the day. Unlike that guy I talked to this week, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, all the prophecy we need fulfilled has been fulfilled. Jesus could come back today. Jesus could come back today. I just don't believe. It don't matter what you believe. It really doesn't. He's going to come back when he's ready. When his father says, come, there is nothing, no one, and no power that will stop him. Nothing. Godzilla, the Transformers, Aquaman, and all of them combined with the U.S. Navy can't stop the Lord's return. That was pretty good, though, wasn't it? You like the way I did that? I was pretty impressed with myself. We ought to get up every morning and watch. Every morning. Every morning. Start the day. Now, if your day starts when the sun's coming up, or it starts with mine about a little later, (laughs) it's my morning. I just consider my morning a little different than some people do. Watch. Y'all get up. People are supposed to be asleep when y'all. I don't understand it. Watch. Whatever time you get up, watch. If this could be the day. Are we teaching our kids that Jesus is coming back? Or just to keep working and be, you know, it's all about this life and what you get out of it. Watch in the evening. You know, when you get off of work or maybe it's. 2.30 and you're taking your five hour energy or drinking your energy drink or having your seventh cup of coffee to try to get through because lunch is now weighing on you and it's almost like a turkey Thanksgiving dinner and you're like I can't keep my watch watch in the morning watch in the evening watch in the night time it could be at midnight say I'll be ready if it comes in Oh, y'all have to watch the sleep out of your eyes. I mean, I see you, Jesus. Amen. I believe he looked over at Peter and James John said, Do you hear what I said? Y'all remember that? Watching the nighttime. They were fishing to go to sleep on him. They'd slept on Mount Transfiguration, they'd slept in the Garden of Gethsemane. What are you sleeping on in your life that Jesus is trying to show you? What are you sleeping on? Are you sleeping on God revolutionizing your life because you're entrenched in your past? That you're so physically tired, you have crammed so much in your life, you have no time to see Jesus. All you can think of is, I'm so tired. If you're so tired, you don't have to have time to pray. If you're so busy, you don't have time to read your Bible. Something needs to go, and it's not your Christianity. We need to watch for the Lord. He said, prepare. It's coming. Church is coming. He said in verse 34, For the Son of Man... Is as a man taking a far journey, he left his house, gave authority to his servants, to every man his word, and commanded the porters to watch. Watch ye therefore. Now he's already said watch three times in three verses. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, at evening or midnight, or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And he finishes with this, and what I say unto you, I say unto you all, Watch. So, the fourth and final time, he says, Watch. Words of preparation. Watch how you live. Watch how you live. He said, If we're going to watch how we live throughout this, this chapter, he said in verse 5 and verse 20, uh, 23 that we, we better watch by taking heed that we be not deceased. Take heed, he said in verse 5, lest any man deceive you. Verse 23. Take heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. Take heed that you are not deceived by the things of this world. Like the guy I talked to this week. Deceived by this whole name it, claim it, prosperity, it's all about me mentality. I'm going to tell you something. It's about Jesus. Do I believe people can be healed? Absolutely. Do I believe God reveals Himself to His children? Absolutely. Do I believe He shows us everything all the time and we can do anything anytime we want to? Absolutely not. But in that, take heed that you be not discouraged. Everything go your way this past week. Why do you say it that loud? You got me? Yeah, yeah. That's what she's talking about. <laughs> I'll deal with you later. <laughs> you ever get discouraged? I mean your heart's heavy. Get discouraged. Man, I sure will I've tried and I've prayed and I've given this person Jesus. And just, I'm so discouraged. I don't feel like they're going they, they hear anything I'm saying. They may not be. I have done everything I can and it seems like at work it just gets worse. It don't get better. There's not near as many people in Sunday school and worship and doing things that you think they ought to do and you get discouraged. Sitting in your study, sitting in your office, riding in your vehicle, sitting in your chair at home, he said in verse 9, take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. Synagogues, they'll beat, they'll beat you, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Take heed. Don't be discouraged. It happen to them, it'll happen to us. He said, Take heed to watch and pray. Watch pray. Watch, pray. If some of us would watch nearly as intently for the Lord's return and what God wants in our lives, as we do to watch and hover over our children, we could change the world. Yeah, I didn't expect amen right there, but it's true. Take heed to watch and pray. He said in verse 33 very clearly, take heed Watch and pray for you know not when the time is. Watch. Pray. Watch how you love. Are we loving the Lord like we should? You know how to make all this happen? You know how to be ready whether it's today or tomorrow or next month or next year? You'll know how to stay where God wants you without being discouraged, without being deceived? You want to know how to keep watching and praying and, and, and be the servant that is about the Father's business? He said, love me. Just love me. That's the great commandment. Love me, and when you love me, you'll love others. Y'all with me? Do we love God with all our being, our mind, our heart, body? Do we love our fellow man? I'm going to tell you, it's easy to love the people that like me. What about the people that don't like me? What about them? Jesus said, not only do I want you to love them, I want you to pray for them, and I want you to bless them. That's tough. As they come to the instruments... Listen, are, are we willing to hear God's words through His Son? Watch. Pray. And you say, oh, this is too heavy. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe you've got to know the depth of eschatology and the doctrine of last times. I don't believe you have to uh, be a pre-tribulation or post-tribulation. I don't believe you have to understand the depth and severity of the millennial reign and what battle happens when to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't believe that. I believe that the thief that hung on the cross that said, Lord, forgive me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He did not care about how all the end of the world was going to happen, but he knew That if he trusted Him, it'd all work out for His glory. And for His sake. Do you have your faith and trust sold out to Him? Handing Him your life. Handing Him your all. That no matter what happens in your family, what happens with your children, what happens on your job, what happens in your community, what happens in the world is in His hands. You're saying, I just don't know about this Guatemala. Come pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you believe God will answer you if you sincerely ask Him? I believe He will. Some of you need to pray about it. Some of you already know the answer, and you just need to come and tell Him. Now, He already knows the answer. So come and pray and ask God to empower you to do the right thing. If you need to be born again, come take me by the hand and say, Preacher, will you pray with me? I need to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You need to join. You need to be baptized. Whatever you need to do, be obedient to the Lord as we stand. Time is of the essence. Come. Come to Jesus.